All right, so I am nervous as always. I don't know if that will ever go away. We'll see. Um, but as most of y'all know, Pastor Mark uh, had to go to the hospital yesterday, and so I was called upon to uh, bring a word to you this morning, and so I hope that's all right. Um, I hope it's, it's just one day's worth of prep, so don't judge it too hard, all right? Um, but before we start, I do want to uh, start with prayer and definitely just want to lift up Pastor Mark um, with what he's going through and um, just that answers are had and things get better. So if we'll pray and we'll get started. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for the time you've given us to come and be in your house and focus on you and worship you. Uh, God, I just want to lift up Pastor Mark to you and uh, his health and everything that's going on. Um, if there's one thing we know, it's that his family is aiming to, um, sorry, God, we know that um, they are aiming to bring glory to you and everything that's going on, and I pray that that would be done. Um, I pray that there would be answers and healing and whatever needs to happen, and that we'd, we all would be great brothers and sisters in Christ and just lift them up and encourage them towards you, um, and that we can just shine a light to others through that, God. Uh, be with this this morning as we uh, get into your word, and I pray that it would be your word to the people here and not mine, and that, again, we would just glorify you. Amen. All right. Um, excuse me. So uh, real, real quick, I, I want to uh, also give a shout out to Vo. Uh, Felicia and I went last year, and it was an awesome experience. He was a great, great leader. So anybody who's willing to go, it's awesome. Come sign up, and uh, he's a great person to uh, take us through everything. But, um, so, this, uh, this morning, as I was getting ready, uh, I thought about trying to start something with Advent, because uh, I know that's what Pastor Mark was doing, but I didn't feel super comfortable not having a lot of time to prep, so I just went back to what do I feel comfortable bringing to the people here, and one of my safety nets that I always have is David. David, in the Bible, I went, I've read through and first uh, and second Samuel so much and learned about David so much. And so that's where we're going to be this morning. Um, so if you want to flip to first Samuel chapter 30, that's where we're going to be. We're going to be looking through the whole chapter. We won't read the whole chapter, but there's just so much in this chapter that really um, hit me as, as I've read through it and I've tried to learn from it. There's a couple things in this chapter that I just really think can impact us today. And as always, as I've mentioned before up here, I just love, one of my favorite things is I love how the Old Testament um, supports the New Testament and the themes run through, all throughout the Bible. And that's what we're going to see this morning. So as you're flipping there, First uh, Samuel chapter 30, uh, just let me set up the scene for where David is in his life at this moment. So where we pick up, David is not king yet. But he has killed Goliath, and he has garnished a great reputation among the Israelites, and that has angered the current king, King Saul. And so Saul started to hunt and attack David because of his jealousy, which has put David on the run. Um, and so David has spared Saul's life multiple times, and in fact, where we're going to be heading, David has fled away from Saul to the Philistines. This is actually the enemy of the Israelites. This is one of the moments in David's life where he kind of went against what God wanted. Um, he has, where we're going to be picking up, he's been with the Philistines for about a year and a half. Um, 
And so in an act that wasn't one of his best decisions, David has retreated to his enemies and is of the mind that he needs to provide for himself. That's where he's at at the moment. And so he spends about 16 months there doing things his way. So here we are now. We're picking up uh, in David's life. And in verse 1 through 3, we won't read that, but just to update you, uh, he's coming back. David's coming back from a battle with 600 men. He had gone away, and they went to a battle. He's coming back. And they were coming back to his home called Ziklag, which I think is just super cool. He has like his own home city, his headquarters called Ziklag. And so when they get there, they have found that it has been burned down to the ground and all the people have been captured. They weren't killed, but they were captured, including David's wives. So this is a big moment in life. Everything that he's worked for, all the people that he's trying to support and lead, they are looking for, to him at this devastating moment. So let's pick up in verses 4 through 6. So that's 1 Samuel chapter 30, verses 4 through 6. It says, Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they had no strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail of the widow Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all of the people were bitter in soul, each for his sons and daughters. But David strengthened himself in the Lord his God. All right, so we'll pause right there. And so first, we have to recognize that this is a really pressing time for David for quite a few reasons. So this wasn't just one thing that happened to David. It wasn't, oh, somebody spilled my cereal this morning, or it wasn't, oh, I got a flat tire on the way to work. This was some of the biggest hardships you can endure all happening at the same time in David's life. His home had been attacked and burned down to the ground. That's huge on its own. His family and his wives had been taken by the enemy, and that alone is enough to make a man break down. And on top of all that, his own people are contemplating stoning him, killing him. And with that comes blame and guilt. They were saying it was his fault that happened. So there's actual things that happened. There's emotional turmoil. And all this stuff is happening in David's life at the same time. And so at this point, I cannot think of a situation where it could be any more stressful and painful. He is going through it right now. And so when I ask myself, what would I have done in this situation? I have a million answers come up. And in my mind, all the things that I could have done, I probably would have just laid down and cried a little bit. I would be angry and break things at some point. I would be arguing with other people about what to do. I might even go off into solitude and retreat into myself. And in general, I would just break down. All this stuff, I would probably just break down. And the thing is, all of those reactions that I, think, that I can think of that I would do, those are all sinful and focused on myself, right? And in this scenario, David shows us in a shocking way how he handles this situation. The Bible tells us that he strengthened himself in the Lord his God. And so take that in for a moment. He strengthened himself in the Lord his God. His immediate reaction, in this situation at least, right here, his immediate reaction was to turn to God. He didn't freak out. He didn't try to take things into his own hands and he uh, try to figure out how to fix it all. He didn't get angry and curse God for all the things that are happening in his life. He didn't start a spiraling path of self-loathing and pity. He didn't do any of that. He made a purposeful, conscious decision to strengthen himself in the Lord. And in this moment, his reaction, uh, excuse me, his reaction to everything that was going on revealed 
what his life and his mind were focused on. He was focused on God and living a righteous life that pleased him. And that right there is a lesson we can all learn throughout the whole Bible. And it's honestly a principle, it's a, it's a line, it's a principle that I learned from Pastor Adam about four years ago. I went back and looked in my notes because I've, I say this line all the time and I always reference him. And it was back in 2019, Pastor Adam said, your reaction reveals your focus. And what that means in David's case, this was a big moment in his life. This was a moment where whatever his reaction was, was going to determine a lot of things and a lot of people were going to see. And in life, we have moments like this as well. We have big things happen in our lives, and how we react to them will impact our lives. But more common, we're not going to have those big moments. But our reaction to small things in our lives still reveals what we're focused on and can still have an impact on the people around us. So do I let sin overtake in my mind? Do I react in anger and frustration with words of discouragement or to put other people down? Or do we take the moment to strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Do we take this opportunity to react in love and in kindness and encouragement? Showing friends and family and even strangers a reaction that reflects our focus on the Lord can have a lasting impact. It'll be different than what people expect. And it'll be different than what the world would want to see. And the world will notice. Our reactions play a big role in our walk with Christ and a huge role in our witness to others. And Paul was a great example to the people of Philippians in this exact type of scenario. In Philippians 1, we see Paul taking on two situations. First, he's been imprisoned for his work for Christ. He's been put in prison. And in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard to, and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. All he cared about was the gospel advancing and moving forward. His imprisonment has a purpose. He could have been upset about it, but the end result was that others were seeing the work of Christ. And while he was in prison, there were other evangelists out in the country taking advantage of his absence. Some were preaching out of good intent to spread the gospel, and some were preaching out of selfish, excuse me, selfish ambition and only to purposefully hurt Paul. But again... Paul's reaction shows his focus. Again, uh, Philippians 1, verse 18, it says, What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. No matter what's happening to him, we see, um, <clears throat> sorry, no matter what's happening to him, whatever the circumstances, Paul's focus is Christ. And he's reacting in a way that is pushing the gospel forward. And so throughout the Bible, we see this truth. We see examples of how a godly, righteous reaction reflects a godly, righteous focus in a person. And so back to David. We see in the midst of his trying time that he refused to give in to his human instinct. And he was at a point in his life where he had been giving in to his human instinct. But in this moment, he refused. Even in the moment where his people wanted to kill him, he strengthened himself in the Lord. And see, remember, we said that David had spent almost a year and a half depending on himself and doing what he thought was right. And that has brought him to this point. He has now turned from his own strength and applied himself to the Lord. He made that effort to turn away from depending on himself and strengthening himself in the Lord. And so my immediate question right there is, what does it mean to even strengthen ourselves in the Lord? 
And one author, uh, again, this was a guy I'd, I've never read before, but as I was studying, this was a theologian. His name's Roger Ellsworth. He put it this way, and I really liked how he worded it. He said, to strengthen ourselves in God means we remind ourselves of what Scripture says about God and his promises, and we bring those truths to bear on the situation. Every trial causes opposing voices to ring in the ears of the child of God. One voice is our circumstances, telling us that our situation is hopeless. And the other voice is the voice of faith, telling us that our God is sufficient for the trial. And so strengthening ourselves in the Lord means we are not relying on ourselves, but on God and his promises. Instead of giving into the voice of circumstance, we choose the voice of faith. And just as a quick side note, that means that there is one prerequisite to strengthening ourselves in the Lord. And that part can be a little daunting for people because we want to just say, oh, I'm going to be like David. I want to strengthen myself in the Lord. But if we're going off this definition, there's one prerequisite. There's one thing you have to do first. So if we are going to do that by reminding ourselves of Scripture and God's promises, that means we actually have to know and be familiar with the Word of God. We have to prep ourselves in order to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Last week in Sunday school, uh, I ended class with going over two promises of God that we can have in our armory for when Satan's accusations rise up in our lives. And that's the exact idea that I'm talking about here. If we're going to strengthen ourselves like David did, if we're going to strengthen ourselves in the Lord, we have to know and be familiar with the character and the promises of God. We have to already have that. It has to be there. By the way, I did hear that Pastor Mark told me about me crying. That's not cool. Whatever. We'll keep going. Um, and so the only way to strengthen ourselves in the Lord is to be familiar with his word. We have to have that. All right, and so we are, we're going to continue on with David in chapter 30. So if you're still there, stay there real quick. At this point, we've seen David turn back, and he's strengthened himself in the Lord. And so let's look at the next two verses, verses 7 and 8. It says, And David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. So now we see that David has centered himself on the promises of God. He doesn't move forward and come up with his own plan here. He doesn't just make decisions that he thinks are best. He isn't motivated by selfish desire like most would be in this situation. He decides to move forward by praying to God. He, brings, he grabs the ephod, which for our purposes at the moment is just a garment that he put on his head whenever he wanted to commune with God. That's what the ephod is. And so he asked God what he should do. He says, this is what I think I should do, but I want to inquire of you, God. What do you think I should do? Let me know if this is the right move forward. And his desire is to be led by the will of God in that moment. How often is that our genuine desire? How often is it when we pray to God that we genuinely want God's will to be done? Or do we just pray to God with a wish list, hoping that what we desire is what God will give us? Are we willing to let go of what we want and accept what God declares in our lives? This is a difficult posture to take. But again, this is an example we can take from David. And so David prays, and he goes before God. He puts himself in a place where he is listening to God and not just telling God what needs to be done. So he has this posture 
where his heart is in a way that is willing to accept what God says to move forward. And now in this case, God does send, him on, send David on to do what he wanted to do. But the way that he asked the question was a way that shows he put God's opinion first instead of his own. And so that's another lesson we can take from David here. Is that our heart whenever we are praying to God? All right. And so in the rest of the chapter, David shows us what to do when we have turned our hearts to God. Whether for the first time or for the hundred and first time, it doesn't matter. When we turn and strengthen ourselves in God and our God, our Lord, it doesn't matter if it's first or hundred and first, we can still move forward. And so there's a lot that goes on in this chapter, but there's one more major thing that I really wanted to bring to our attention uh, and that really hit me whenever we got to this chapter. So the, I just have to let you know something before we move on to what that is. So uh, in verses 9 and 10, real quick, it says, So David set out, and the 600 men who were with him, and they came, came to the brook Besor, where those uh, who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and the 400 men, 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Besor. So basically, David and his 600 men, they head out. Two of, 200 of them are exhausted, and they decide to stay at the brook. All right? This is going to be important for where we go next. 400, or 400 continued on, 200 stayed. All right? So now, the whole chapter has a lot to look at, and it's all good, but we're going to skip ahead to verses 21 through 25. So at this point, David and his men have fought the Amalekites, and they've gotten all their stuff back. And all the people that were taken, uh, they've gotten those back, and they're heading back to Ziklag. They're heading back to their headquarters, right, with all their spoils, because not only did they get what was taken from them, but they got extra stuff too, right? And so we're going to pick up in verse 21. So it says, then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left at the brook Besor. And they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among the men who had gone with David said, because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers, with what the Lord has given us. He has preserved us and given into our hand the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this matter? For as his share is who goes down into battle, so shall his share be who stays by the baggage. They shall share alike. And he made it a statute and a rule for Israel from that day forward to this day. So, what we have here is a part of the group that went into battle, labeled as wicked and worthless men. They're called, uh, they're called that because they don't want to give any spoils to the men that stayed behind. They're saying, you didn't go with us. You didn't do any of the work, so you're not going to get any of the pay. And they even try to present a type of mercy in their selfishness by saying these 200 men could keep their wives and their children and then depart. So they try to cover up their wickedness with what looks like an act of grace. But David comes into the situation and he says, no, you can't do this with what the Lord delivered to us. The Lord was the one who delivered us. The Lord was the one who saved us. And we cannot do this with what the Lord has given us. And so he makes a rule that those who fight in battle must share with those that stayed with the baggage. And so there are two parts of what I noticed going on here that really hit me about this interaction. The first is this self-centered attitude about part of the group not being valued and looked down upon because of something they did or didn't do. This attitude of, well, I did all the work, so, I shouldn't, or, so they shouldn't get any type of reward or pay. I did everything. This too bad, so sad, you should have done better attitude. 
the work I did makes me more valuable and I'm not going to have any care or love for you because you didn't do whatever. Because it's not fair. That's the attitude that we see right here. All right? The Bible talks against regarding people this way multiple times in multiple ways all throughout the Bible. And the fact that it comes up so much tells me two things. This attitude is going to come up a lot, it's, uh, and it's going to be easy to fall into this type of thinking. And it comes up so much, we've got to understand that God is very much against it. All right? So just a few places that this comes up. The first one uh, is the prodigal son. And again, I'm not going to read through the prodigal son. It's really long, but it's in Luke chapter 15, just so you know where it's at. And like I said, we're not going to read the whole thing. But the prodigal son is a story of a brother who was selfish and wasted away his father's blessing and inheritance, but saw the errors of his ways and came back to his father. And his father celebrated that fact and threw him a party. All right, that's the beginning of, that's the main part of the prodigal son. But at the end of that parable, it talks about an older brother who, just like the wicked men from David's army, is angry because he thinks it's unfair. The older brother stayed the whole time. It says that he stayed for years with his father, and he worked. But now he's angry because he didn't get a party, just like his younger brother. And so in Luke 15, verse uh, 29 and 30, this is what it says about the older brother. It says, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when the son of yours came, he has devoured your property with prostitutes. You killed the fattened calf for him. He said he's been there for years. He's done all the work. Why should this brother get any rewards? And the father chastises the older brother. In verse 31 and 32, uh, it says that the father said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and now is found. The father says, you already have all that's mine. You should celebrate that your brother's found. The idea that it's not fair and this selfish idea of treating other people that way is shut down by the father. Just like in David's army, that selfish idea is shut down. And again, this comes up in uh, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to read verses 12 through 15. It says, for just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in the Spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one Spirit. But the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. So Paul is explaining here that Christ's followers are all part of one body. That all are valued for what they bring to the work of Christ. It doesn't matter if your hand or foot or uh, it keeps going, it says eye and mouth. They're all members of one body. And he continues on in verse 25 and 26. And this is the part where we're really understanding. It says that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. He says that there should be no division in the body. We should all have the same care for one another. And that's exactly what David was teaching back with his army. All members are important. It doesn't matter if you're foot or a mouth or a hand. It doesn't matter if you fought the battle or if you stayed by the baggage. All are one body. And it's so cool when you see themes from the Old Testament are supported all the way through to the New Testament. It's the exact same idea. 
And so we see that this is an important issue. And lastly about this, real quick, there's one other point that I wanted to bring up that Paul makes in 2 Corinthians. In uh, 2 Corinthians one twenty four, he says, Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. So, and just for context, in this situation, Paul's talking about how the Lord is using him in ministry when he is saying he doesn't um, lord it over their faith. That's the first part of the verse. But the important part to notice here is why he works with other believers. In that verse, it says, look, we work for you for your joy. We work with others for their joy, not our own. Not so that we might get bigger and better and be self-centered. We work to help others. It's about other people, not ourselves. That idea that it's not fair or I did all this and they didn't, that's that idea that it's not fair. And that's not what's supported all throughout the Bible. So this idea of too bad, so sad, you didn't, you should have done better, it's spoken against by David to his army and is strongly spoken against all throughout the Bible. And it has to be something that we guard ourselves against because it comes up so much. It's obviously going to be something that is easy to creep into our minds. So it's not a small issue and we have to be aware of it and we have to watch out for it. So that's the first part that I recognize from that passage. Then the second part of that uh, story about David is the second part is just noticing David's reaction and how, again, it reveals his focus. So firstly, he reacts to the wicked and worthless men, and he handles them in a very calm way that diffuses the situation. Instead of causing the situation to escalate, he just corrects them. He calls them his brothers. If you look back at the verse, he calls them brothers. He doesn't say bad names, and he tells them the proper way to handle it, and he moves on. But more importantly, we see David's attitude toward the victory and the spoils was marked by his gratitude for God's grace. All was of grace as far as David was concerned. The victory was not what he and his men had achieved, but what God had given. His victory was not his own. It was given by God. He recognizes God's sovereignty in the battle and understands that what they have is based on God's work and not their own. His reaction shows us how he's now focused on living a righteous life for God. And most of us will probably never have to consider the spoils from winning a battle, but the concept still carries over to where we are today. Do we have selfish ambitions for things that we have in life? What is our reaction when we have things in life? Are we selfish and claim things for ourselves, or do we consider our brothers and sisters in Christ? And most importantly, do we recognize what God has done in our lives? Are we grateful for God's grace? This is one of those things in life that isn't always seen by others, but it is alive in our hearts. People may not see how you react, but it will still reveal your focus. How we think about life, how our heart attitudes towards what's going on in our lives, that will reveal our focus. And so my prayer today is that we are truly focusing on God and so that our reactions reveal that clearly to, other people, to the other people around us, just like David did. And so and in just a second I'll pray, but I, the main thing I want you to take away from today is that David's reaction shows us who was Lord in his life, who he strengthened himself on. What, are we focused on Christ? Are we focused on living our life for God? When we react, is it in anger? Is it in kindness? Is it for encouragement? Are we treating the people that we're supposed? Are we treating people the way that we're supposed to? Are we treating them the way that God would want us to treat them? And that will show people what we are living for. That will show people what our motivation and our purpose is.
And so um, I'll pray as the um, music team comes on up. But let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this uh, passage that you've given us about David, that we can still learn from it even over 2,000 years later, God. That this is something that is not just for the people of old times and old situations, but God, it's for modern times and for us today. I pray that we can learn from it, that we can uh, truly focus on you, and that our reactions in life would reveal a focus and a worship on you, God. Help us to be that light to the other people around us, and just help us to do that as much as we can in the coming week. And God, we just love you so much. Amen.